Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you are an accredited or non-accredited investor. Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio by providing access to investing in venture capital funds. The Aventure app provides everything you need to make startup investments, including extensive research material, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures. For fund managers, Aventure seeks to help you streamline your operations and launch your fund. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point in our industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in the industry are so excited about this launch. Their first fund launch is coming early next year. So if you want to be the first in the know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. That's A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E dot V-C. Also check the link in the show notes. Aventure is a California-based fintech company and operates independently from investment advisors on its platform who may be registered as investment advisors in the U.S. or qualify for exempt reporting status. Hey, I'm your host, Mike Gelb, and this is the Consumer VC Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of venture capital and consumer innovation. If you're enjoying the show, also subscribe to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com, where you'll receive all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals happening. All content and episodes are for informational and entertainment purposes only and is non-investment advice. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about Aventure, a new platform that's about to launch that's making venture capital available to the masses. It doesn't matter if you're accredited or non-accredited, Aventure provides an opportunity to diversify your investment portfolio and invest in private funds. If you're a fund manager, the Aventure app also provides everything you need in order to make startup investments, including extensive research materials, seamless transaction processes, and allocation measures so you can properly diversify your portfolio. Now, typically, venture capital and startup investments are liquid, which is a major pain point for industry. Aventure is fixing this by offering periodic withdrawals for its investors. I and many others in this industry are so excited about this launch, they are preparing to list their first fund in the beginning of next year. So if you want to be the first to know, join their waitlist at aventure.vc. Our guest today is Adam Ross, founder and CEO of Heyday. Heyday is a skincare establishment that is overhauling the facial experience. We discuss how we got interested in skincare, why he only wanted to focus on facials, how he thought about expanding footprint with a combination of corporate and franchise-owned stores. This was such an interesting conversation about how to grow retail stores, as well as how to focus on one thing. Without further ado, here's Adam. Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Mike, I'm great. Thanks for, uh, thank you for having me. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is gonna be a lot of fun. So want to start from the beginning of your career. Why did you, what is, I guess, attracted you to first banking and why did you end up leaving banking? Ooh, starting off strong. Um, I mean, banking for me was a, you know, it was, it was a fantastic, I mean, it's a real project-based way to work. Um, so for me, any, any advisory assignment you do, and I, I work specifically in mergers and acquisitions, whether you're buying companies, whether you're advising selling companies, divisions, um, it's very much sort of project-based and, you know, all came with it sort of like unique attributes and, and opportunities. So I think just sort of viewed that as a incredible opportunity to get the exposure to different different categories and industries. Um, 
And I think in doing that, you actually get a pretty broad, solid appreciation for what businesses go through at the at the strategic, operational, and financial level. And you know, for me personally, got to an inflection point maybe a dozen years in where it's like I can I can be a lifer and be a be a managing partner and, and do that for the rest of my life, or you know, I can use this as a stepping stone to you know, sort of be on the other side of the table. And I, I think for me, I was increasingly attracted to the smaller deals where you're working with the the founder, the entrepreneur, like these folks that have started businesses and, you know, built brands that, that sort of like delighted and engaged customers. And, you know, for me, it was just a personal decision of I want to roll up my sleeves and, and sit on that side of the table and, you know, build brands and businesses and just use that that knowledge from banking to do so. Were you always interested in the retail side and consumer brands type of th- those types of businesses, or um, and I guess how did you make decisions that you wanted to actually focus in this area? Yeah, g- great question. I, I I did a year and a half in in Australia, which was just I was very much a generalist, so I had exposure to you know to mining, to healthcare, to telecommunications, um, and consumer and retail. When I transferred Mike to New York. Um, a lot of the investment banks are structured in in pods where you need to be very sector specific. So, I think just given some of the experience that I'd had in Sydney, I was sort of deemed deemed appropriate for the consumer and retail group in New York. Um, so that's that's been my pigeonhole ever since. Cool, cool. So what what led you to rethink or think about skincare and led you down to actually creating Heyday? I think one of the one of the categories that I actually ended up spending a lot of time in in my in my latter banking years was was actually in the beauty sector. Uh, so I was doing a lot of work for you know for Revlon, for Avon, for P and G and Gillette, you know more specifically. And you know working with them, Mike, there was you could see there was just there's a really high degree of focus on pushing products rather than you know helping consumers do what was right for their skin. And you know I think sort of at the same time. For me personally, looking after my skin was increasingly difficult and confusing. So, you know, when I was then, you know, speaking with, you know, with friends of mine, everyone seemed to be equally frustrated with how difficult it actually was to to look after their own skin. So I became convinced there had to had to be a better way. And then I think as I sort of peeled back the the onion a little bit, you know, it just sort of it came to the fact that like access to professional skincare services and, and knowing how to look after your own skin with the right products. Um, you know, it should be available to everybody, but it's it's not. Um, certainly, given the cumulative benefits of great skincare, so you know, it just basically came down to the fact that you know consumers want and, and need a much better option than what currently existed. So, um, you know, at Heyday, we're setting out to change that. Why did you? I guess digging into that a little bit more, why did you want to focus on the professional services side when it came to skincare, as opposed to starting off by launching your own products? Um, your own skincare products. Yeah, no, it, it's a great question, and I think a lot of what we do at Heyday, it's decisions are actually anchored around where do we want to do what's what's more common in the industry and just do it better, or where do we actually want to come at it from a very different angle? And you know, I think at the time there were obviously a high number, Mike, of of D to C, you know, skincare brands, um, but it seems to be one where like access to products. Um, wasn't actually an issue in the category. Um, and I think every business, you know, needs to start with sort of solving a consumer problem, you know, a consumer need. 
Um, and, and for us, like the angle to actually come in was, was the service side of the business because the facial is like the gold standard of, of skincare. And you've got, you've got, you've got in this employment class of estheticians, you know, this incredible knowledge and they, they've done this, you know, they've done like in New York, for example, Los Angeles, they've done, you know, these 600 hour state certified course. So their knowledge on, on how to give a correct facial, how to use professional strength products, they can, they can actually sort of create a efficacious treatment in a way that very few D2C brands can actually do. So, you know, we actually came at it and at the time it was actually sort of the antithesis to a lot of business models that were very sort of D2C focused and that was the way that they were going to grow and expand. We said, actually, we want to, we want to take a more challenging channel in, in physical retail and we want to create an experience. Um, we want to do it in a unintimidating manner. We want to do it with the right, you know, furniture, design, decor and whatnot. So we can, we can attract people that feel comfortable talking about skincare and use that moment with estheticians to actually educate and inform so people can leave a heyday looking great with the right, you know, with the right treatment, but then armed with the right products and how to look after themselves. So there's a, there's a big educational component that goes into, you know, what we view as a holistic skincare experience, you know, that the esthetician touches your skin once a month, you're then touching it twice a day for the other 29 days until you come back to a heyday again. So, you know, our goal is to have you leaving leaving our doors armed with with knowledge and you know with skincare more isn't better you know fewer things done well is is what's ultimately going to deliver the you know the right results and and that was i mean because it is quite different in that as you as you mentioned it was kind of the height of the d2c movement and you know online and you know the um what we believed maybe facebook had you know unlimited um uh inventory when it comes to um, advertising. And so this was quite differentiated in that you actually went, okay, let's actually go to retail. And uh, because you were so focused, it seems on that kind of consumer education piece. And rather than doing it, you know, maybe on a um, online marketing type way, actually doing it in person and actually talking to um, professionals to actually show people what the actual right routine is should be for their facials um, or, or their skin routine, skin care routine in general. Um, and then of course, create a store. So what was the first store you opened and how did you think about location um, and, and all the kind of things that kind of go into creating a, a retail store? Yeah, no, a great question. We, we actually opened our first store in um, in Nomad um, in New York. And at the time it was very central location, Mike, a good combination of like residential, commercial traffic. Uh, there were some other sort of like self-care and wellness brands around. So I, I think in some cases when you're looking to to build a physical store, you, you just want to focus on like where are the dollars in the category or, or adjacent category getting spent. So that one for us, I think was felt really good in terms of this is going to I think help us prove out who our primary consumer actually is and how does, you know, how does she want to be using us? Um, so yeah, we opened in summer of 2015 and, you know, within, within 12 months, the, the, the store was up sort of like north of a hundred percent. We had this sort of like really healthy percentage of, of clients that were coming once a month. And, you know, one of the things that I was probably a little unclear on before we opened um, was just how much work would we need to do to convince customers of the cumulative benefits of, of skincare. 
um, in terms of getting into the right routine with us. And we've actually found that that, that actually hasn't the case. I think the market structure has just been pretty, you know, pretty structurally flawed that, you know, people have always, I think, wanted to engage with professional skincare services. It's just been narrowed onto the either like the higher end spas that cost a lot of time and take a lot of, you know, co- sorry, cost a lot of money or take a lot of time, or it's sort of been cheap services that have been a little inconsistent in their in their products. So um, this was, I think, a bit of a case of like if you build it, they will they will come. And you know, we sort of found that we wanted to hit a spot in the in the market. I, I think I think just to round it out with your question on the experience, I think I think at the time, and you're going back, there were so many brands that had started to do one thing and do it really well. So um, in New York, we'd seen you know Soul Cycle do a, a fantastic job, you know, freeing cycling from the gym. You know, Dry Bar was freeing the blowout from the salon, and, and at Heyday, we're talking then about freeing the facial from the spa. And I think it's it, it's a nuance, but it's a really important one because when you hear the word spa, you know, sort of in air quotes, um, it's got this beauty pampering and indulgent connotation that comes with it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think when you take the facial the way we have it, heyday, and you reposition it in a gender-neutral, design-inspired, unintimidating environment, it's not beauty, it's self-care. And for us, that was a really important brand positioning because our clients that see us are those that are so focused on investment in themselves, like their self-care routine, and they think about us, you know, on a monthly basis, like they do the, you know, the brands they engage with from a fitness perspective, like the vitamins, the mental health, like whatever goes into people's self-care pie. So, you know, I think we've got a, you know, more of a younger generation that's focused and appreciates skincare as, as just part of a holistic self-care routine. Would you say also since you're trying to differentiate the facial or pull the facial out from the spa, that it also is a, maybe a time perspective difference where when you think about a spa, it's like a whole day, a whole day kind of thing um, or experience that you do a wonderful experience, but this is, um, you know, quite different, right? No, you're exactly right. In in all our research, you know, sort of post like that, the the light bulb moment, Mike, in terms of, Hey, is there a there there? Um, the three friction points of time, cost, and convenience were just so far ahead of anything else. So when we were designing Heyday and how we wanted to like have the menu, how we wanted to set up our service and the in-shop experience, um, everything came down to addressing those friction points because we wanted to make it and make Heyday a brand that was like really easy and frictionless to engage with. After I guess the first year where you were, you were at a hundred percent and business was really kicking in, how did you how did you think about as well like um, retail expansion? I know that part of also your mission um, with Heyday was, hey, we we want this to be maybe more affordable, uh, more open to other people. How did that translate as well into the locations you were you were choosing and picking in your maybe ideal customer profile as you thought about retail expansion? I mean, retail expansion is one of those areas, Mike, where if you if you speak to different people, you couldn't get more diametrically opposed points of view on how should a brand ultimately expand. Um, you know, we the way we thought about it at Heyday, and I think depending on like the brand or the category that the different consumer businesses are in, that you can actually have very very different approaches. So one could be, hey, we want to plant flags and have like one location in each city. But by nature of like heyday and the fact that we're we're a service based and we're like sort of like a monthly service, there's real economies to to 
clustering and sort of like density of location. So, you know, our, our number one strategic imperative when we started Heyday was like, let's open the first door, let's prove our product market fit, and then let's plant a flag and be the market leader in New York. So we said, we are going to own the New York market before we go anywhere else. So um, we ultimately had five locations in New York before we then sort of took that flag and planted it across in, in Los Angeles. Uh, we can talk about, you know, why we did that versus versus another market. But, you know, with New York, we've done, we're huge on data and insights. And I think it's one where um, I think in my experience over the years, we've all spent far too many hours sitting around the boardroom table arguing about what we think it is the customer wants. Like get out there and do the research and ask them. And, you know, that's going to help help prove out where you want to go, who your segment, who your core segment is, and how you want to focus on that. And I think for us as a brand, you know, at the time we were very much sort of focused on, you know, sort of like, you know, aspirationally like metropolitan, modern female customer in that sort of like 28 to 35 year old demographic. And, um, you know, as it happens, we had a lot of clients that were actually coming up from Tribeca to see us in the Nomad location. So that seemed to be an easy, easy door. So we, we made Tribeca our second location. Um, and then looking at the map, we said, we've got to, you know, need a door on the Upper East Side, we need a door on the Upper West Side. Um, and then we came back and did one on, um, on Lafayette, just in between um, East 4th and um that felt like a really good representation, knowing we, we could then infill infill from there. So that was that was sort of like the New York strategy. And then we said, okay, we can keep building in New York, but while we're doing that, we're now going to plant a flag and and target Los Angeles because that's you know arguably like said that the second most strategic city in the US. And if you have a flag in both of those, then you're a national brand and you've got permission to then infill across you know all other secondary and tertiary states. Makes sense to target those two cities, New York and LA, uh, primarily. Also, I'd imagine you, um, I know you were definitely differentiated, it seems, from the spa, but I would imagine that probably uh, from a competitive side, it was maybe like the, the, the maybe two of the most competitive cities to maybe launch in. How, talk to me a little bit about how you thought about competition and getting the actual word to um, to actually express what Heyday was for consumers in those two two markets yeah it's um i mean at the time in new york i think and we're actually still seeing this you know in in 2022 a lot of the spas that they're almost going bigger and bigger in size and sort of like more expensive fixtures amenities fittings things like that so they're almost going for a higher price point and still like very much targeting a female centric you know age 50 or above customer who's got time and money uh, so they're not actually necessarily coming down in terms of trying to attract you know healthier younger people in their 20s 30s or 40s so we've almost been in a white space i think in terms of like who we've been targeting and you know interesting statistic in terms of and it's been remarkably consistent actually since day one we've got a little under 30 percent of clients that come to heyday that have never had a facial before um and I think it's amazing to see the the, percentage, the high percentage of those that then sort of opt into a monthly membership program and jump straight into, you know, into a skincare routine. Um, but where we're capturing, you know, sort of the lion's share of, of, of our clients away from that would be, 
those that, that historically go, go to a spa for a once a year indulgence, special occasion, something on vacation, but they just don't have the time to fit it into their busy, their busy lifestyle. So, um, you know, I'm not going to say we're necessarily in competition because the two can, can, can coexist, but I think in a day and age where we all felt, feel like we're getting stretched a mile wide and, and an inch deep, you know, to your earlier comment, like people, you know, time and cost are two huge drivers here. And at heyday, when you know you can you can come to somebody that's focused, you know, exclusively on the skin, you can be in and out in 60 minutes and get a world-class facial, you know, with this trade-off in price, but without the trade-off in quality, you know, it makes it very hard, I think, for other, you know, other higher price point spas to to compete with us. And I think and I think it also it, it also makes sense because it's almost like heyday, I know, and I know this was the, the original premise, but doubling down almost on facials as opposed to offering a, a variety of other types of services that maybe spas would do. And as you as you alluded to, um, spas were doing right, like um, in terms of different types of features or different types of um, d- different types of services that they could actually provide customers. And so the fact that you're actually doubling down that we only do facials or that that is our primary focus, that's also like a, a definitely a point of differentiation. And it's, it's, it's funny how the world's changed because, you know, 15 years ago, you won by being all things to all all people. But I think, and, and what I love about the environment we're, we're operating in today is is the bar on, like the bar that customers put on us to execute, and this is like any brand or business, but like the bar with which you've got to perform today is so incredibly high. And I mean, skincare is, is complicated. So for us, it's like for us to be that trusted skincare brand and know we can deliver on that level of service and, and quality, you've, you've got to focus, you've got to specialize and you do that by, by doing one thing and doing it well. So, you know, for us, that was just sort of blinkers down and said that we're going to, you know, we're going to focus on the skin and that's, that's what we stand for. It's amazing. It's amazing. So obviously, um, retail COVID hits in, in 2020. Um, I'd imagine that was a very intense, I mean, Intense, intense time for all of us. I'd imagine owning um, retail shops was a very, very intense period. Walk me through what was happening in March and also how you were, when heyday shops were actually able to open, also if some were, uh, had to close down permanently. Um, and just that, that entire experience of what happened in 2020 up until now. The, 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 the year that was a dog year in 2020. Um, yeah. Th- I mean, I'm not sure I could imagine a worse category to be operating in, you know, performing facials when it when it came to COVID. Um, I think, I mean, one, I mean, one of the most incredibly challenging months professionally of 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 our lives, I think, without question. And when you're in a business that, I mean, we had to close, we closed all our doors, Mike, on on Friday the 13th, rather rather ominously. Um, and at the time, and I sort of look back and cringe with with a bit of naivety, but at the time, I think we felt that would be would be closed for like two or three weeks. I don't think anyone at the time that week knew what was to, you know, knew what was to come. Um, you know, as it turns out, we had our we had our New York doors that that, that could reopen end of September that year, um, but our Philadelphia and Los Angeles doors didn't open until like end of February and May of the following year, respectively. So. You know, fourteen to sixteen months. So, you know, it, it was challenging, and I, I think obviously with a lot of the government, you know, sort of support that was getting provided to ultimately to our team, um, you know, it was also tough to 
while that support was happening, it was tough to sort of get the labor back into the, you know, back into the shops. But, um, you know, when you're in a position as a, as a founder who, when we had probably a little under 450 employees leading up to that, that March, 2020, and, you know, my co-founder and I had a week where we had to let, you know, sort of 425 team members go. It's just, it's a position as a founder, you just, you'd never imagine yourself being in. So it was, it was, and obviously for, you know, sort of, you know, unforeseen, um, you know, unforeseen reasons, but it was, I think really challenging when you, you just didn't know the answers and there was, there's sort of so many unknowns. So I think for us, it was just, you know, there are two ways you could approach it. You could just sort of sit there and and sort of throw your arms up and say, well, we don't know what's going to happen, so we're going to sit tight. Um, I think when it became apparent that we were going to be closed for some time, um, you know, we took a, a bit of a bare bones team and we, you know, reinvented a bunch of our SOPs. We simplified a lot of what we were doing in the shops. I mean, there was almost a silver lining of we've got five years of like, lessons learned here where we can we can adapt we change booking systems so we we actually rebased a lot of the the foundation of the business in a way where it could be far more agile and and elevated for when we did reopen so you know the, the team did some incredibly great work over that over that period and i think where we where we also did a great job where where i'm incredibly proud was the i think sort of leading with communication just not just to external clients um, but importantly, to our to our team of estheticians, and we provided ongoing trainings on a weekly basis. We still did a lot of things to provide a community and openness, and I think we're incredibly transparent about what we knew, what we didn't know. Um, you know, hosting sort of open open hours and things like that. So I think that I think when everyone then feels like you're you're in it together, um, when it comes to then sort of like reopening and then the rallying of the teams to to do that. Um, you know, a lot of kind of lot let us get back into, you know, things I'd say from a position of, from a position of strength, but um, a, an incredibly, incredibly tough, um, tough period of time. And I think if you, if you got me end of March of that year and said the Los Angeles doors aren't going to open until May of 2021, I, I wouldn't have believed you. Yeah. I can only thanks so much. Th- thanks so much for, uh, for, for taking us through that um, about everything that's, that happened. Um, March 2020, I can't imagine um, op- owning, operating um, a few sto- stores, getting really uh, excited about um, the numbers and and being able to um, expand and then, of course, having to shut down all of them. Is this also, um, and w- I-, I don't know if this was part of the original strategy, but um, were was this also during these past couple of years when you also thought about creating a franchise model or was that always kind of part of the plan? Yeah, we'd, we'd made the strategic decision to franchise actually back in 2019. Oh, okay. Um, and I think just part of the rationale behind that, Mike, is because we've got such a such a labor-centric business model, um, you know, in any of our shops, you can, you know, we can have anywhere from 25 to, to 35 estheticians. You know, you've got a shop manager, you've got some front desk hosts, you've got, a, you've got a shop attendant. I think because we've worked so incredibly hard to create this, this fantastic experience and you want to wow somebody, whether it's their first time walking through a heyday door or their 20th, um, you need partners that have got skin in the game and want to sort of protect and enhance and elevate that experience that we've worked so hard to create. So it's one where we felt that it was it was better for us to actually be able to sort of focus on the brand, the services, the products, like the innovation, 
um, and sort of like the technology where we can personalize skincare for our clients and live up to our mission and let let our franchise partners who are fantastic operators operate in a way that you know that we felt we probably couldn't do under a company operated model and I think I think with a lot of the research that that we did back in 2019 what's interesting is for those those franchise concepts that 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 work well the franchise doors generally far outperform the company owned and operated doors across any metric I mean, it's not just like higher top line revenue, it's like higher top line recurring revenue, um, higher client satisfaction, lower team turnover, like you, you name the metric. So it was one where we just felt like we could give our team members a better experience, we could give our clients a better experience, and we can accelerate the the growth of door openings and the impact we can have that I think makes our, our mission um, and our ability to, to you know, help people with their skincare, skincare routines far more far more impactful because we're just doing it at, at, at far more scale. Why why is that the case that the 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 franchises have actually been performing better than the corporate stores? I mean I think again you, you see that across so many so many industries and I think that there even be a few brands out there that people aren't even aware that the concepts is franchised, which which actually shows you how well they do it, right? The customer doesn't need to know what's a franchise door and what's a company own and operate a door. I, I think part of it is, you know, it's it's expensive in retail to to open a store. So partners are financially invested in in that experience. You know, they 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 care. So I'd say they just not just they have an owner's mindset, like they are an owner. So they've got that mindset, um, and that generally sort of exceeds, um, you know, that of a that of an employee. What then do you think about when it comes to, because it, 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 this is quite unique in that you have corporate stores, then you also have franchises. And I know that the franchises, I think, are growing at much a, a much faster rate, I'd imagine, than the corporate stores. But how did you how do you balance that in terms of where you should open maybe a new corporate shop, um, a, a, a corporate store versus a uh, franchise or franchisee? And also, where should those franchisees maybe be located that are actually optimal for, for Haiti to uh, succeed? We use our corporate stores as the as the guinea pig for you know innovation, testing and learning things, and it's it's great. And we have you know we have monthly meetings with all our franchise partners where we come and report back on hey here are the things that we've tested, you know here's what's worked, here's what hasn't worked, you know, and those initiatives that work, you know, we then package them up to then be rolled out across the across the entire system. So that's generally how we use the franchise. Doors, Mike, and I, I think it's also it, it's great because you can you can empathise and relate with everything that our franchise partners are going through, and I think it also just puts us in a much better position as operators and being on that side of the table to also help them like own, manage, grow, and like you know navigate the problems that come with you know just having a having a team of thirty five people and doing what we do. So um, I don't I don't see us going beyond that, but it's again it's just great to draw on. You know, own doors in three different three different cities, three different states as a way to, I think, help us ultimately be a better partner to our franchise, you know, franchise partners. And then, so and the franchisees, um, are they across the U.S.? Like, where are they? Where are they opening their doors? Yeah, great question. I mean, all, all across the U.S. I mean, I, I think we see we see a tremendous opportunity across the U.S. And um, you know, time will tell what that number ultimately looks like. But I think you can look at you know, some pretty big concepts like European Wax, like Massage Envy, you know, that have got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of doors. And we feel that we can 
we can be that leader in skincare services. So, um, you know, we spent a lot of time, Mike, doing some very detailed territory mapping across across the top 50, 51 MSAs across the country. So um, we're out to find the, the best franchise partners in, in all those regions to, to work with them. So um, we've got, I mean, next year as an example, 2023, uh, we've got around 30 doors opening and they're opening in... You know, we've got, we've got D.C., we've got Atlanta, we've got a Boston, Austin, Houston, Dallas, Phoenix, San Francisco, Seattle, more in Los Angeles, Denver, um, you know, Kentucky, Chicago. So it's, it's the, right, the right cities and the right flag planning that we, we absolutely want to be doing. Um, so, so really excited to, I think, use the next 12 to 24 months to really, really cement Heyday as a national brand. Amazing. Amazing. How do you think, because I would imagine that one of the hard parts of managing a, a franchise business, especially one that's rapidly growing, is making sure that each retail shop has that same consistency that you would like to see, you know, just as you, you're running it in a, in a corporate realm. What, how do you think about the relationship between you and the franchisees and, um, and making sure that kind of consistency is there? There are a number of checks and balances that I think help ensure that the you know the shop is is operating and and adhering to the various brand standards from a obviously from a from an aesthetic perspective. Um, we're very comprehensive and rigorous on not just sort of initial training, Mike, but ongoing training. Uh, I mean, to my mind, like the biggest thing that we want to be mindful of as we expand is is consistency of the experience. Um, and you know, we've got different color palettes and and things where. I, mean, I think you've got brands over over the years like Sweetgreen and Warby Parker that have done such a fantastic job of when you're in one of those doors, they're a little different like every location, but you know it's it's distinctly a, a Warby Parker DNA or it's a Sweetgreen DNA, and we're doing we're doing that at Heyday. Um, you know, there are random, um, spontaneous sort of like checks we can we can do, um, obviously just to ensure that the franchise partner is you know is executing per. Um, you know, per our standards, but I think one thing that that we pride ourselves on with our with our data and the fact that all our facials are are recorded, you know, there's a lot of active sort of like ask nicely NPS scores that we get, so we can look at dashboards with with all these stores like on a live live basis, so we can really understand team and client satisfaction. Um, so if there's any any bumps in the road, we can also jump on those very very quickly. Cool. That's. Um... That's that's awesome. How how also do you think about um, the e? I'd imagine that this is maybe a more of a minor part to your business, since I'd imagine that that, that franchising and the retail stores um, are um, the main focus. But how also do you think about Heyday's e-commerce business and kind of marketplace for um, for selling you know other products? Um, how is how has that been in terms of a percentage of your overall overall business, and they kind of relate to one another? We've got some exciting new things coming on our. On our product strategy next year, but I, I think we're trying to be, for us to be the trust, you know, the trusted brand in skincare, Mike. You've got to be seen as a place of brand discovery. So, I think we're in the fortunate position where we're getting access to to new brands and new products before others are seeing them, and how we get exclusives around that. So, you'll generally see that that, you know, they're represented on our on our shelves in our stores. Uh, we do have a more broader representation on our website. Um, you know, we've we've chosen to 
be more thoughtfully curated where we're trying to get the right, you know, sort of like handful of brands where depending on a customer's like skin type concern or, or price point, um, you know, we've got products that, that can address all those needs. But I think one thing, and this is an area where we're trying to come at it very differently from how the, how the category is more broadly structured, um, we don't want thousands of SKUs. You know, that doesn't win. It's very overwhelming for the customer. So many products, you just don't know what's right for you. So um, we're, we're far more um, curated in that respect. Um, you're right. It's it's a smaller part of the business, but it's also you know it's growing growing nicely. And as we're getting like more and more eyeballs on our on our website, um, obviously we're we're pretty excited for the the scale and the the speed with which we can actually grow grow our e commerce business over the coming years. If the e commerce business is growing quite rapidly, and I, I know you're you you're as you mentioned you you have some of these exclusives that you're able to. Um, be get first access to new products, but do you have any ambition to also launch your own products as well on the skin on uh, and your own skincare line since you since it already is a uh, a a point of of discovery? No, absolutely, and the answer is yes. But I, I think where we've seen some other concepts almost go from from one extreme, you know, one end of the pendulum to the other on third party brands to like entirely their own. I think what you'll see with some some heyday brand or product that will, you know, that that's sort of in in development as we speak, it's going to it's going to complement the third party brand curation. So, you know, I don't know over time like how, you know, from a skew from a skew perspective how big it will be, but I I don't see it being beyond sort of like ten or fifteen percent of our overall product sales. I mean, there are some fantastic. Some incredible R and D that's happening in skincare products. Um, obviously, when we're doing facials and with our estheticians, we've got a very unique insight into so many faces and issues and concerns and, and whatnot. So, our products will play play complementary and additive roles to some other great third party brands. So, I think we're really looking forward to being in a position to share some of that with you know with the public in the not too distant future. That's great. That's great to hear. But I mean, as you as you alluded to, it's also two very different businesses, right? Like you have to do heavy R and D in order to create products versus you know um, having retail shops and and, and having a um, and having um, you know to obviously manage manage all these franchisees. So I also understand how, in terms of proportionately, it will only be probably a small portion of of the, of their overall grade of pie that it will never be totally all hated products maybe on your site, um, just because of course these are very rich. You know, it's it's a great point. I mean, I think one thing that I think a lot of a lot of companies you can easily fall into the trap of is is trying to be too many things to too many people, or you just bite off more than you can chew. You know, sooner. So I think there's there's other big pockets and opportunities of growth within Heyday. Um, we've spoken about them with the board. We know we know what they are. I think it's just a question of you know, is it 2023? Is it 2024? Like, when do we want to lean into these? In a little more detail, but but you're right. I mean, we've got, you know, we've got 30, 30 plus doors opening next year. Uh, we, you know, we've got some great menu innovation coming our way. Um, you know, I think as a, I think as a management team, we want to be focused more on, you know, getting sort of three A's versus six C's on the report card. Back to, I guess, shifting back to the retail um, side of the business. I know that we're kind of in a maybe post COVID. I want to say. Um, I guess it really depends who you ask. 
post kind of COVID environment. But from your sense, in terms of how your stores are doing, what is your pulse on the consumer in terms of being willing to go back into into stores, into um, uh, and actually, you know, have you know facials done at at Heyday? Are you seeing levels um, just uh, that were equal to you know prior? to the pandemic um, in terms of number of customers you have, or you've seen that people have been away for so long that it's actually been incredible the amount of, of excitement people have to actually come back and use professional services. You know, we're, I think we're fortunate and, you know, to answer this probably like for Heyday and, and, and other brands, Mike, I think, I think I'm still trying to understand where customers are willing to, come for a physical experience, whether it's like at Heyday or anywhere else, and where are they sort of like then substituting that for anything they, they can do at home. And I think the benefit of what we do at Heyday, again, you've got estheticians, you've got professional products, like there's a number of reasons, you know, to come to us, we've got machines, like there's things you just cannot do at home. So I think I think brands that can offer a reason to, a reason to believe and a reason to come into a shop, you know, a physical location are going to continue to thrive. So We've, we've got, you know, so many of our clients that saw us pre-COVID that have come back. We've got so many new clients that have moved to, you know, moved to New York, moved to LA that are seeing us, you know, seeing us again. Um, you know, some of the differences we're seeing, I think, are more around time of day and day of week, just as people have got like more flexible, um, you know, sort of like working working habits. Cool. Cool. Oh, I, I appreciate that. What is one book that's inspired you personally and one book that's inspired you professionally? Personally would be probably a book that I would I would I reread every year um, would actually be The Alchemist. I think professionally, it was actually a great book by uh, an author called um, Eric Reese called The Lean Startup. You read that? Yeah. 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 Those are those are two great ones. Um, really excited to add those to the book list. Um, Adam, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you for thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And there you have it. It was such a pleasure chatting with Adam. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. If you're enjoying the show, I highly recommend subscribing to my newsletter at theconsumervc.com where you'll receive all new episodes straight to your inbox and a weekly recap of all the consumer deals happening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>